Hey church, thank you so much for choosing to join us in our online worship experience. Hey, just a reminder before we jump into it today that uh, if you need sermon notes, any other resources that, that you might need, you can find everything you need in the text below here at the bottom of the screen. Go and check it out. There's a ton of resources there for you and, uh, and we hope that you find what you are looking for. Well, we just hope and pray that your Thanksgiving was absolutely Absolutely, exactly what you wanted it to be. Thank you so much for joining us this weekend. Uh, we want to jump right into it. So if you have your copy of God's Word, turn with me to Luke chapter 17. Luke 17. We're actually going to start reading in verse 11. Luke is in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, and then you will find Luke. Um, and if you see John, back up just a little bit. Luke chapter 17. Verses 11 through 18, we're going to be reading about Jesus healing a group of men. And it says this, starting in verse 11. As Jesus continued on towards Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. As he entered a village there, ten lepers stood at a distance, crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. He looked at them and said, go show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus shouting, praise God. He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. And this man was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, didn't I heal ten men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? The timing of today's message is not accidental. In fact, it's very intentional. Now, you might have expected to tune in this weekend and to hear a message on Thanksgiving, beings that we just got done with Thanksgiving. But this message is a little bit more intentional than that. See, this message is coming right on the heels of a series that we just got done with over the last six, seven weeks, a series called God Is. This was a series where we looked at some of the names of God, where we tried to wrap our head around who our God really is at his core. And it's been awesome. Over the last few weeks, we learned that God's name is not God, it is actually Yahweh. Yahweh is God's name. And Yahweh simply just means the great I am. He is I am. He is the alpha, the omega, the beginning, the end. There is nobody bigger, nobody better, nobody greater. He is I am. We also learned that God is Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides he, we learn that God is Yahweh Shalom, the God of peace. We learn that God is El Roy, the God who sees us. We learn that we serve a God who loves us. We serve a God who meets our needs, who protects us when we need protecting. We serve a God who sees our tomorrows, has plans for a brighter future, plans to prosper us, plans to give us life more abundantly. And so the timing of the message today is perfect, not only because we're in this season of Thanksgiving and Christmas is right around the corner, but the timing of this message is perfect because I want to challenge us that in light of all the things that we have learned about the God that we serve, in light of all the things that we have learned about him, that we need to respond to that with gratitude. Gratitude is something that doesn't come easy for most of us. And it's a virtue that we actually see less and less in our society today. I believe that gratitude is something that has been broken by sin in our lives. 
Therefore, I believe it's something that we need to be taught. It's something that we need to be reminded of consistently. We have to practice gratitude in our lives. We have to be intentional about being grateful because if we aren't intentional, if we aren't focused on this, if we don't practice this virtue in our life, it's really easy for it to wither up and to become non-existent. The reason that I don't believe that gratitude is something that comes natural to us is because I have seen a two-year-old before. You have seen a two-year-old. We've all seen the terrible two-year-olds. Heck, we've all been the terrible two-year-olds before where everything is mine. Everything is, I don't like this. I don't like this food. I don't want to take a nap. I don't want to be held. I don't want to be hugged. I don't want to be kissed. Most two-year-olds, maybe not yours, But at least mine and most two-year-olds have this attitude that it's their world and we're just living in it, right? And, and, And to have any kind of gratitude at all is something that just doesn't exist in their life. That's why most parents of two, three, four-year-olds spend almost every waking moment reminding their kids to say please and to say thank you. Right? We're trying desperately to teach our little monsters that they cannot live life this way. You simply cannot grow up and be this ungrateful. Gift giving time is the absolute worst. It is the absolute worst because as a parent, secretly inside your brain, grandma comes up, gives your, your little precious angel a gift at Christmas, at birthday, whatever. And, and inside your brain, you're just hoping, praying, just begging that, that they will show some ounce of gratitude, right? That's why most parents, if you're anything like me, when, when they rip the paper off, you do not wait two seconds before you're like, what do you say? Go over, give grandma a hug, give grandma a kiss, tell grandma thank you. Right, Because we are desperately afraid that they're just going to shred into it, drop it on the ground, reach for the next one, and just simply move on. Which nine times out of ten is usually what happens. They throw that gift apart, rip into that thing, almost as if they were owed it somehow. And it kills us as a parent inside. And that's why most of us correct that behavior. We've all been there. We've all stepped in. We've all said, no, you can't do this. Why? Because we know the importance of gratitude in our lives and we don't want to raise selfish, entitled, ungrateful people. We have enough of those in the world already. A secular definition of gratitude is a feeling of obligation or indebtedness towards those who give us a gift or help us out in some way. Let me say that a different way. Gratitude is the recognition that the good in our lives comes from something that is beyond our control, whether it be people, nature, or a higher power. Now that is the secular mindset of gratitude. The Christian mindset of gratitude takes this definition even one step further, and it says this, every good and perfect gift in my life comes from God and God alone. And as a Christian, my response to that will be, I will continuously bless him, praise him, thank him because of that. James chapter one, verse 17 says this, whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God, our father who created all the lights in heaven. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. First Thessalonians reminds us to continuously 
praise him. It says, whatever is good, whatever is perfect. Oh, sorry, First Thessalonians says this. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Jesus Christ for you. I like what it says, give thanks in all circumstances. It doesn't say give thanks when things are going well or give thanks when you remember to give thanks. Give thanks in every scenario, every circumstances. Count your blessings and never stop. We all desire to be grateful people. And we would all like to believe that we are grateful people. And the truth of the matter is, is that the majority of us have it figured out. At least we have a pretty good grasp on this idea of being grateful. But I think that you would agree with me when I say that there is always room for improvement. Gratitude is a blessing. It's powerful. It opens doors. It changes things in our lives. But we have to be intentional about it. And we have to continually develop this virtue. In the time that I have remaining, I want to be able to remind you about a few truths when it comes to gratitude. So if you're taking notes, write this down for point number one. Gratitude requires the right attitude. It requires the right attitude. You've heard this said before, right? That, that we should, should have an attitude of gratitude. That Somebody has said that to you at some point. You've heard this before. Well, there's a, a lot of truth to that. And I totally agree that having the right mindset is a huge part of being a grateful person and living a grateful life. We can change a lot of things when we change our mindset. It's incredibly powerful. Paul tells us to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We find that in Romans 12. So we know that biblically there is power when we transform our minds and we begin to start thinking differently, right? There's power when we focus our minds. An attitude that is focused on gratefulness and gratitude is a very powerful thing. It can make you happier. It can make you healthier, more optimistic, more productive. It can bring perspective to a tough situation. It can bring balance when things seem to be out of control. It can bring hope to something that is bleak and dark. The Bible talks a lot about gratitude. Ephesians 5, Paul tells us, always give thanks to God, the Father, for everything. Very similar to the scripture we already read. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, always give thanks to God. Again, not just in the good times, not just when we have time to think about it, Not just when things are going well and life is easy, but even in the muck, even in the mire, even in the quicksand. Remember to give thanks to God. Why? Because that attitude of gratitude is powerful and it can change your perspective. As Christians, we have a double benefit from gratitude. Not only will having a grateful attitude help us live our best life, it will actually strengthen our relationship with God. It actually brings us closer to God on our journey with him. Taking the time to recognize what God has done and expressing our gratitude is important to developing our relationship with him. Check this out. Thank, the word thank, and the word you are two of the most common words, right, in the English language. Yet when they're brought together, they're incredibly powerful. When they're brought together, it can change everything. When they're brought together, it actually brings you closer to God. And let me just say this. Your God desires to hear those words from you. 
Gratitude makes us take notice of what God has given us. When we think about what we should be grateful for, what God has given us, it opens our eyes to the generosity of God. We realize how much we've been given. We realize how much God loves us. And we get a sense of how much we actually owe him. We get a sense of our blessings. I love this quote that I found when I was putting this together. It's by an author, and I'm not familiar with her, but her name is Melody Beattie. And it says this, gratitude unlocks the fullness of life. It turns what we have into enough and more. It turns denial into acceptance, chaos to order, confusion to clarity, and it can turn a meal into a feast, a house into a home, a stranger into a friend. It's powerful. We must remember to have an attitude of gratitude, but it doesn't end there. Living a life of thankfulness, living a life that is grateful, is, it, it takes more than just having an attitude. So write this down for point number two. The attitude must be followed by action. The attitude must be followed by actions. Guys, words are just words, and you know that, and I know that. Words are just words if they're not backed up with passion, attitude, uh, action, while you know, it, it's just words. You and I can say please and thank you without really even meaning it. We do it all the time. It's usually unintentional. But words are just words unless they're backed up with some oomph, right? The exact same thing can be said for an attitude. An attitude without action is dead. It's meaningless. It's non-existent. This is what I mean by that. I have an attitude that really relates to a, uh, a long distance runner. <laughs> now, before you tune me out, before you say to yourself, dude, you ain't running anywhere, right? The only place you're running is to get free donuts, right? I, I get that, right? I, 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 abs I absolutely understand that. But before you tune me out, listen to what I mean by this. I really have an attitude that relates to a, a, a long distance runner. I actually long for that. I'm actually very attracted to that mindset, right? I love the solitude that a long distance runner experiences. There's not a team. There's not anybody around. It's just he or she, their body, their mind, God, a journey, a path, a finish line. And they just set out and they accomplish it. I love the peacefulness that, that comes. I hear stories from runners that talk about how they hit an extra gear when they're running. How, how they go places in their mind and their body that they never thought even existed before. How they hit this second win and they're just running on adrenaline or something that they didn't even know was there. I, I hear people tell me stories, especially Christian runners that tell me stories that say they never felt closer to God than when they were in uh, mile 12, 13, 14 of a big long run. And all of a sudden it just feels like everything in their mind just disappears and it's just them and God and they're having this connection, right? I absolutely love, this is, I love finding and watching like the Ironmans on TV. And I love hearing the backstories and listening to like what they've overcame in their life and the obstacles that, that they've had to overcome. And, and, and you know, if this is their first time or their 10th time or, and, and then I love watching them cross the finish line. I'm telling you what, just tears, snot bubbles, everything, why? Because I'm so attracted to that mindset. I get it. I long for that. 
And there's something that is very, very, that, that, about the, that it just very much attracts me to it. I have an attitude that wants that. I have zero action to back that up. I have zero desire to do that. I don't want to run from here to the parking lot, much less 10, 12, 15 miles. I have zero added action to back up the attitude. But I can tell you this, man, you runners, I totally get it. I respect it. I love it. And I know why you do it. I long for that in my life. I just have zero action to back that up. Now, a little side note. <laughs> the next time you see me, don't come up and say, you know, okay, Brian, you're going to be my new pet project. You're going to meet me at 6 a.m. tomorrow morning, and I'm going to teach you what it means to be a runner. And you're going to get to experience that, right? Don't do it. Just don't. It, it's not going to work for you. It's not going to work for me. You're going to waste your time. And here's why. Proverbs 28 says, only the wicked run when no one is chasing them. But an honest person is brave. And I'm just choosing to be brave. That's why I don't run. In all seriousness, Andy Stanley has a, uh, has a great quote on this, and it really made me stop and think. Talking about the attitude backed up by action, Andy says this, My attitude is that I love and adore my kids, but it means nothing if my calendar doesn't reflect that. Let that sink in for a second. I love my kids. I adore them. They're the best things in my life but it doesn't mean anything if I don't have an action that says on my calendar, I set a time, aside times and dates and activities that I can put action to that attitude. In our Bible passage this morning, we see 10 men who were outcast because of a horrible disease. Uh, they were approached, or they approached Jesus as he was walking from Samaria to Galilee. Now, I can only imagine that this meeting took place in a very remote location, and here's why. See, it was customary for those who had been diagnosed with leprosy to be cast out of their communities. They were now outsiders. They were on the outside looking in. They were not allowed to live in their homes. They were not allowed to have communion with friends. They were not allowed to work in town. They were not allowed to be a part of anything mainstream. They were being forced out. And what would usually happen is lepers would find other lepers and they would find this community together. It might only be three, four, five of them, but they would hang out out together, right? And so now I can only imagine when this group of 10 lepers found Jesus, it was somewhere off the beaten path between Samaria and Galilee. They stood at a distance because they couldn't approach Jesus, right? They couldn't get close to anyone. And so they stood at a distance and they cried out, Jesus, master, have pity on us. And Jesus tells them to go. He says, go, show yourself to the high priest. Now, I need you to understand something here. Jesus wasn't passing the buck. He wasn't sending them away. He wasn't pushing them off on somebody else. Jesus was actually sending them to the one person that could give them a clean bill of health. See, again, it was customary that if you were outcast, in order to return to the mainstream, you had to go get the blessing of the high priest. The high priest had to deem you clean. And so Jesus sent them away to go and see the high priest. Now I need you to catch something here. When they turned and started to head to the high priest, nothing had changed about their circumstance. Nothing had changed. They still had 
leprosy. And I can only imagine that as they were walking to the high priest, they had a discussion with each other like, what happened? I thought Jesus could heal. I I thought he was going to heal us when we asked to be healed. And we're walking to a priest that's just going to look at us and say, yeah, you still have leprosy. Get out of here. Go back. Get out of town. And so I can imagine that they were a little disheartened as they were walking, but something happened along the way. As they were being faithful, as they were being obedient, as they were going to the high priest, all of a sudden God did what only God could do when he healed them. When he healed them, one in particular man had an attitude of gratefulness. He actually stopped what he was doing and he just took it all in. In that moment, years of pain and torment were over. He thought he had to have thought about the fact that this was the first time in a long time that he was going to be able to be on the inside instead of on the outside. He would be able to reconnect with family, reconnect with friends, reconnect with work. He would be able to have fellowship and communion. He would finally be able to experience love and acceptance in a way that he hadn't In a very, very long time. It was over. The horrible chapter of his life was over. And Jesus was the one that made it possible for him to move forward. And our friend here had an attitude that reflected that. But then he followed it up with an action. He followed it up with an action and he turned around and he went back to find Jesus and he fell at his feet. Look at it again. Luke chapter 17, this time we'll start in 14. It says this, he looked at them, Jesus, and he said to them, go, show yourselves to the high priest. And as they went, they were cleansed of leprosy. One of them, verse 15, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus shouting, praise God. He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking them for what he had done. You know what's interesting to me? This is what's interesting. The other nine, they had to have had the same attitude of gratefulness, right? I mean, how could they not? They had to have said, oh my goodness, it's over. That chapter is done. A new chapter has started. I can go home. I can hug on my kids. I can be a part of community again. I can go into town. I can be normal. They had to have understood that Jesus just gave them their life back. But they missed their opportunity to put action to it. They missed their opportunity to turn around and go back and thank him. They had to have had the attitude. But the action wasn't there. Church, I need you to hear this. Unexpressed gratitude is experienced as ingratitude. Did you catch that? When we choose to not express our gratitude, it is received by those around us, especially the person that we should be grateful for. It is received as being ungrateful or ungrateful. It is received as ingratitude. We might have an attitude that says we're incredibly thankful, we're blessed. We might actually say to ourselves, wow, I am so, this is a game changer. This changes everything for me. But if we don't express that with action, it is received as the people around us, by the people around us, as ingratefulness or ungratefulness. And it says this, Jesus, that's how he, he took it. It says this, Jesus asked, didn't I heal 10 men? Where are the other nine? 
has no one returned to give glory to God except for this foreigner. I've heard this quote before. It says, gratitude without action is faith, is like faith without works. Gratitude without action is like faith without works. It's not alive. It's dead. It's meaningless. It doesn't mean anything. The nine miss their opportunity. I want to be like the one that goes back. I want to challenge you to be like the one that goes back, that takes the time out of their life, out of their schedule, that takes the time to realize and recognize that the good and perfect gift that they've just been given needs and warrants an action. I want to be like the one who goes back. Lord, I don't want to be ungrateful. I don't want to, to live a life that, that, that just takes things for granted. I want to be like the one. And here's the deal. I understand that because I'm human and because I have sin in my life, I, I, there's going to be times that I miss the mark. I can't be perfect, right? But man, I want to try. I want to try. And that's, that's the message that I want to relay to you today. Is I'm challenging you to try to be like the one. I'm challenging you to be intentional, to practice gratitude, to not only have the attitude that you're thankful for every good and perfect gift, but to have action where you fall at the feet of Jesus and say, thanks. Be like the one. That's my prayer for me. That's my prayer for you. Bow your heads. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your words today. I thank you that you are a God that gives us what we need. Help us, Lord, as we grow in this area, to, area of gratitude. Father, I pray that we will not miss opportunities, but that we will fall to the ground and thank you each and every time, Lord, for the blessings that we received. Lord, help us to be like the one that came back. Help us to not miss those opportunities. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We ask that the Holy Spirit does in our lives what it wants to do, Lord. And we give you all the praise and all the glory in your name. Amen. Church, thank you so much for tuning in this weekend. I hope and pray that you have a blessed week. Go out and practice gratitude. We'll see you next week.